0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. What was the cause of the United States Civil War?
1: Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run. The freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry?
2: I'm not running for president. I I,
0: I, I want to listen to your on the cause of the Civil War. This has been spoken about repeatedly. But I don't think accurately. This question asked to Ambassador Haley on the campaign trail, to where she well got it terribly, terribly wrong, embarrassingly wrong. Even her conversation there in that first part about government isn't isn't uh, even close to being a level of uh, of, of accurate. At the first, it might be accurate as you dig in, but you're not going to talk about slavery? And yes, she has taken a lot of heat for this, but she wants you to know that the only people talking about this
1: are the media. So, yes, we know the Civil War was about slavery. That's always the case. And I'll remind you that I was the southern governor that brought down the Confederate flag after we had a horrific shooting of nine African-Americans that were killed in a church. But, Harris, really, the media is the only one that has talked about this issue. No,
0: that's I, not actually one not person true. on the ground. in
1: Iowa, not one person on the ground in New Hampshire or Iowa are talking about it. I've done multiple town halls
0: with all due respect to the ambassador. I don't think that's true, and I think Harris Faulkner is correct. That's not the case. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number. 833-468-8669. If that commentary from Nikki Haley has changed your mind on Nikki Haley, I'd love to, to, to hear that. Maybe it didn't change your mind at all. I'd love to hear that as well. I think it exposes a problem. And when I first uh, talked about this, I put out a video over at Uh Subscribers were able to see it, and I greatly appreciate the, the support there. Um, I don't know if I was the first person to say it, but I, let's say I was close. And I was not surprised to see Ron DeSantis engage this conversation as well what we're going to do you, a debate and, and we're going to be able to have a sharp contrast in our visions and I think she's had very difficult uh, time recently because her uh, she had been pumped up by liberal media which I understand she's the liberal candidate running uh, and now she's come under scrutiny and she's not been able to handle basic questions that people are asking she's not been able to defend her record as governor of South Carolina where she was the number one governor Of bringing in Chinese Communist Party investment into her state. In Florida, I banned China from buying land in Florida. I kicked them out of our universities. So it's just a contrast in visions, contrast in records, and clearly uh, Republican voters are going to pursue, are going to prefer my vision to hers. Now, this is talking about the debate that he's going to have with her. They're the only two in the next debate, which will take place, I think, on January 10th. But he said she's been having trouble not being able to handle basic questions that people are asking. This is what I talked about the other day in in a a video at TonyCatch.com. Nikki Haley has a problem. And I get that people want to talk about her surging and and I'll get into where we are with some of this in in these debates uh, uh, coming up. But this is the second time The first time was when Vivek Ramaswamy said, name three provinces in Ukraine. You want to send our kids there. You want to engage war there. You want to give them all our money. You can't even name three provinces in in, in Ukraine. Right? That's a line that you would expect in a debate. Certainly, if you've had any experience in debates, you would expect something like that would, 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 would come. And by the way, right now, the big conversation about Ukraine is, how are we going to negotiate a settlement? You mean Ukraine's going to have to give up the Donbas? They're going to have to give up Donetsk and Luhansk uh, in order for there to be peace? Because this is a stalemate. This is World War One trench warfare. Everybody dug in. They're going to grab five feet. Now the other side's going to grab five feet. That's what you've got. And so now a conversation that would have been heresy... Eight months ago is now the conversation happening amongst even the Biden White House? That's a lot like the people who said, I'm not so sure about this vaccine thing. Oh, well, then you're not allowed to speak on social media, and now questioning vaccines is just fine. Good Lord. Let people ask their questions. Let people make their statements. Instead of going after them, Instead of trying to silence them, instead of being opposed to people speaking out, let them speak. But I want to get back to Nikki Haley. And what happens when Nikki Haley is asked a question? Because when she was asked the Ukraine question, she froze. She just stared straight ahead. She wasn't going to... Participate. She wasn't going to answer any uh, of his questions. She clearly doesn't like Vivek Ramaswamy. And later on in the debate, she actually did, I think, mention the areas or some areas. but kind of got brushed to the side. She was asked the question and she had no response. She gave no response. Now, go back to this conversation this question about slavery.
1: What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run.
0: Now, if you go back and time that with me, go back, let's go back, From the moment the question is asked till an answer is given, and and you should be clear that she looks at the guy, she turns around, and she takes three steps in the other direction, then turns around and takes a breath. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? One, two, three, four, five. Well, don't come with an easy question. I mean, I
1: think the cause of the Civil War was basically...
0: Well, don't come with an easy question, was also some filler. Eight seconds. Now you say to me, Tony, Tony, you're being a little too critical here. No, I don't think I am. Nikki Haley has a problem answering questions. Nikki Haley freezes. This is an issue. There... um. Was a vice presidential debate that took place some years ago that involved Admiral Stockdale. And Admiral Stockdale, during uh, the debate, this was in 1992, started when when, when he was uh, called upon to introduce himself. In the debate, it, it, it's, it's famous. If, if you've never heard it, it, it it's, it's okay. He uh, started with Who am I and why am I here? Because he knew people didn't know him. He, w- he was fully aware that people didn't know who he was. Who am I? Why am I here? <laughs>
2: I'm not a politician. Everybody knows that, so don't expect me to use the language of the Washington insider. Thirty-seven years in the Navy, and only one of them up there in Washington.
0: Stockdale, there. I, I think it was it was uh, Dan Quayle and 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 Al Gore. Who Sorry, am it I? It was Dan Quayle and Al Gore, right? Um, Admiral Stockdale was a POW in Vietnam and was tortured in ways that are kind of indescribable. And because of that, he had a very hard time finding comfort as the stories are, are relayed. Um, and so in that debate, he was kind of walking around, kind of moving around. Cause standing in one place wasn't something he could really do. And American press called him a doddering old fool. He wasn't. I believe it was one of his children who used to describe the fact that if you asked uh, our, our father a question, Admiral Stockdale a question, he wouldn't always give you an answer right away. He would think about it. He would ponder. He would, He would work it through. But when he did answer you, it was the right answer. There is a place for that person. And and actually, I think we'd all benefit from taking more time uh, to to uh, come up with the answer, as opposed to having the answer on the fly and being glib. But it is undoubtedly true when we look at the president of the United States, we want somebody who can move with speed, who can give an answer, who can not only uh, engage a conversation on near any topic, but can also engage a level of proficiency. Now, if the question had been about cloud computing, I'm fine with Nikki Haley not having the answer because people can answer a question well about cloud computing, like, for example, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did of Canada. Well, that's great. He's also a guy who went after truckers. He's also a guy who wants to ensure tampons are in the men's room. He's also a guy who won't protect women in sports, and he's a guy who's been in blackface I believe twice. So, you know, who gives a good holy damn about his cloud computing answer? This wasn't about cloud computing. This was about the Civil War, and Nikki Haley froze. Why? Well, this is where I get into it differently than other people. She froze because Nikki Haley is not looking to answer the question. I believe in those moments where she finds herself unsure of herself. She's searching for the answer that you want to hear, that I want to hear. That's a very, very politician move, and it's everything in this phase of America we don't want. We want an answer. Not the answer you think we want to hear. We want the answer. Civil war was about slavery. The civil war was about secession. Why? Because the southern states wanted to continue the act of slavery, which is, of course, barbaric. Was the union to be destroyed over slavery? So... There is no question that slavery is the key factor within the Civil War and the secession conversation comes from whether or not states have the right to break away from the Union in order to continue to engage this barbaric practice. I have run into people before in my life, smart people, people I respect tremendously, who said, why not? Let, why not? They, they should have been allowed to leave. They should have been allowed to depart. Certainly not the way Lincoln saw it. And Lincoln's own views changed and, and maneuvered because if you had asked him before, he would have said whatever it takes, because he did say, uh, there were letters, whatever it takes to save the union. Then later came to this practice must end, thus the Emancipation Proclamation, etc. So there's a lot to the answer. There's a lot of detail that could be engaged. Slavery is the answer. Even if you think that's dumbing it down, slavery is the answer. And She didn't have it. And not only did she not have it, she engages a
1: response that is, go through it again. Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? Why are you
0: asking the question back? You're asking it back because you need more time. You don't understand them and you're not sure how you want to answer the question because you're not sure how the question has to be answered. So you're trying to get more input so you can then provide a proper output in your view. That's really bad. That's a real issue. And if she's right that people aren't talking about this, that's a real issue too. Cause I think everybody should be talking about this. She cannot bring an answer. Because she cannot figure out the right answer for the room. And she is not assured enough in herself to answer the question. I think that's a problem. Just like I think it's a problem with Joe Biden that he needs his wife near him to answer questions. Or needs some staffer near him to answer questions. Or keep questions from being asked. Because he's not okay. And he can't answer the questions. I would have a hard time believing that this back and forth didn't hurt her. And that as we head to the debate with her and DeSantis, that this isn't something the DeSantis team isn't going to exploit. I think they got to do it sparingly. They got to do it uh, uh, surgically. But this can be exploited. I don't think Nikki Haley is a dumb woman. Not at all. Not at all. I just think she doesn't know how to answer the question sometimes because she doesn't know what it is that people want to hear. And that's a problem because she's worried about what we want to hear as opposed to remembering that we want to hear what she has to say. I'm Tony Katz.
2: What is the balance of activating a force for change, but also... Trying to permeate that patriarchy, that power structure? And is that a part of the calculation of your art as well? And, and what's been the reaction to that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I like to make men uncomfortable. I enjoy <laughs> making men uncomfortable. <laughs> not you, just that. not you. Not know, you. Not you. Not point you. taken, point taken. <laughs> Um, But it is important to be able to look into the eyes of a man and say, I am here, and recognize that, and recognize that I am working to bring something that makes you uncomfortable, and it should make you uncomfortable, because you need to change your attitude. And it's only when you're uncomfortable, when you're shifty, when you have to have difficult conversations, that you will perhaps look at yourself in the mirror and not like the reflection. You don't know me. Why in the world would you want to make me
0: uncomfortable? You don't know me. That, by the way, is the director of the new Star Wars film. And she wants to make you uncomfortable. That's, well, if if you're a man. Because you somehow need it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. That is very weird. But once again, Disney is going to absolutely ruin itself. This is the woman who directed Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel is terrible. I I admittedly only watched one episode with my kid, and we're like, this is awful. Awful. You just don't appreciate a strong female director. I don't even know. I don't even know what to do with that kind of nonsense. What issue would I have with strong female directors? But it should be about the movie, right? It's Star Wars. You wanna make 14-year-old boys uncomfortable, nine-year-old boys uncomfortable? You're weird. You started by saying men are guilty. You don't know them. What are they guilty of? Feminism is trash. Liberal women, I'll tell you what. So the Colts have a very simple mandate. Win and in. Which would have been a lot easier if they could have beaten the Falcons. Don't even ask me what happened there. I go on vacation. This team falls apart. But they're able to pull it out last week. Meanwhile, the Pacers, on a streak fifth in the standings, they're in the Eastern Conference. But is it all aberration? Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. JMV joins us. He's the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's talk about those Pacers. The win against the Bucks, 142-130, just yesterday. They have got Milwaukee's number. That much is for sure, which is good because Milwaukee is second uh, in, in, in the East. They're on a two-game losing streak. The Pacers on a five-game winning streak. Uh, they figure out their problems or has it just been a nice run but not necessarily an answer to everything?
2: Well, Tony, since you did go on vacation, they made adjustments. Rick Carlisle adjusted the starting lineup and uh, made it bigger, put uh, Jalen Smith in there. and I I don't know if that is the direct reason as to why they're on a five-game win streak or as to why they've they've maintained this ownership in the losing one, I think in five games this year against Milwaukee so far. I don't know if that is the direct reason, but certainly it's relatable here. Uh, There's a big reason that has worked out for them. And, You know, there may have been a little bit of a haze coming out of that because you see the Lakers are still in it right now. I mean, the Lakers are either at 500, maybe even below 500 right now and trailing things out west after winning that in-season tournament. So there may have been some heavy legs after that, but we have witnessed in the last five this Pacer team kind of get out of that haze and play well, and whether it's because it's Rick Carlisle's change with the starting lineup, or you know just the fact that they this is this is who they are right now. their defense is a lot better. That's something you and I have maintained had to get better. It does look better. it more matches up with their offense makes them even more dangerous. So certainly in the last five games, it looks like this group is turning it around and they certainly have had ownership against Milwaukee so far this season and that season series, which is now over. So impressive to say the least.
0: yeah uh, and and so you're taking a look at some of this movement. That is yeah. taking place in 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 a starting lineup. Does does changes like that to starters? Does it change the psyche of a team? Because if you're a guy. Who's been pulled out of a starting lineup? That can have an effect on you, especially when you see a five-game win streak, and you're like, "Oh, wait, I'm the reason we were losing." Does it does it enable a team, to, or, or is it more detrimental uh, in in a short run? Maybe, maybe the question is it. Maybe the answer is it doesn't matter. Uh, wins are wins, but how does how is this team adjusted? Is the better question.
2: Good question, Tony. And, and there's one example I can give you is Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin. Split out of the starting lineup, Jalen Smith goes in. Obi Toppin doesn't hang your head. You get that oftentimes. It's a good point you make. These guys, there's an ego to this. They like getting introduced in the opening lineup. They like running out, doing all that. But, you know, you have to have the right type of team-first ego to be able to withstand that. And Obi Toppin, to me, he may not as of yet have hit to where exactly Pacer folks have hoped. I, I think he has been really good for this team. And I think we have seen that since they made that adjustment in the starting lineup. He in fact has been better coming off the bench. He had a career high in rebounds with twelve this past week and he just is a guy that is team first. Rick Carlisle pointed that out after the win last night over the Bucks that yeah, he's just a guy that you want around your team because he is team first. You can tell he is invested in this team and this group. And when you have guys that act like that, behave like that professionally, then you got something. And I think this is what Rick Carlisle has done. And he's adjusted that starting lot up. Yeah, you know, again, made it bigger, put Jalen Smith in there, and Obi, Obi Toppin coming off the bench has been fantastic. So, yeah, normally that can have an ill effect with this Pacer team. Since he's pulled that trigger, it has been very good.
0: Talking to JMV, he's the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's keep it uh, on, on Hoosiers and specifically the Indiana Hoosiers over there at IU. <laughs> They're ten and four overall, two and one in the conference. Uh, the Boilermakers are thirteen and one. They're still the number one team. Uh, in, in, the, in the NCAA. Uh, talk to me about both these teams and what they have coming forward.
2: My um, you well, stinks. Uh, we saw that last night in Nebraska. I, I mean, really, you would expect some sort of run in the second half. They were down double digits, and uh, it never came. A lot of people were going to suggest, well, they're young, and they're going to learn this and learn that. That was just an overall horrible effort from start to finish, and that goes well beyond guards or three-point making or whatever. Uh, It's everything that's wrong right now. And unfortunately, I think a lot of IU fans, Tony, felt that that could be the outcome of that game of Nebraska going in to last night. So, yeah, that's not good for the tone of the program whatsoever under Mike Woodson. So Mike Woodson is starting to feel the heat from IU fans who think, well, maybe he's not the guy. So you turn the page to Purdue. Purdue on Tuesday night, they just had a professional win. They go in to Maryland. Maryland's a tough place to play. I think they had a win streak on their home floor in College Park. And then it wasn't anything spectacular. Zach Eady had his normal double-double. And they come away with a win in a tough place. And they're going to have that target on their back as the number one team and certainly the top team in the Big Ten throughout the year. And I just love the way that they went about it in a professional fashion on Tuesday. Went over there, got a win coming back home when you prep for a top-10 team in Illinois coming in on Friday night. So, yeah, it, you could not be further apart as far as the divide between what IU is right now and what Purdue is right now. From top to bottom in every aspect, it is not even close to the same. And IU fans are bummed. And Boilermaker fans, it's weird, Tony. Boilermaker fans really aren't going to soak anything up until the NCAA tournament because that's where their, their issues have been in the past, but I would advise them. This is a special group to watch no matter what time of year we're talking about. And, uh, they're fun and they maintain they should be a one seed and then put themselves in a great position coming up in March. But it's a tale of two teams for IU and Purdue this past week. And we saw it both Tuesday and Wednesday nights.
0: We go from college back to the pros, but to football, watching this Colts team, is um, an exercise in futility. Certainly, you need heart medication nearby. (laughs) This loss to the Falcons was beyond embarrassing. And to only squeak out a win against the Raiders, I'm not arguing uh, that, that a win is a win. I'm arguing that they should have wrapped this up considering the fact that the Jaguars don't have Trevor Lawrence. And considering that the Texans had had uh, the the loss as well, you're now in a win or die situation. Luckily at Lucas Oil on Saturday night, eight fifteen is kickoff. But this team has not proven that they're playoff ready. They're not. They have. They're nowhere near to proving that they're playoff ready. Uh, flashes of of really good stuff, absolutely. Explain this Falcons game. Explain this Raiders game. Lead me into this game against the Texans.
2: The the Colts are not consistently that good. They're a middling team. That's what they are. And they are taking advantage of this soft schedule. And some people, Tony, will tell you this. They'll say, you know what, this season because there's no Anthony Richardson, it's your number one for Shane Steichen and, and all these different situations will try to tell you that they're playing with house money and you know what, the fact that they go into this final regular season weekend with a chance of the home win to go to the postseason, they'll call it gravy <clears throat> or, you know, playing with house money, as I mentioned, Tony, it's not that. All right. We have been massively disappointed in the past. We have seen just the year before last a similar situation, a win and you're in and they don't and they get bounced. So to me, I, I have expectations. I do have expectations, but I also have an understanding and I think a reasonable thought of what this team is. It's not that good. It's not that bad. It has put itself in a situation with a win to go into the postseason And I put expectations on them getting that win coming up on Saturday. But I'll give you the reason why I explain it as a roller coaster ride. You bring up before you went on vacation, they go to Atlanta. They're coming off arguably their best half of football against Pittsburgh in that second half we have seen in ages. Just a dominance, a bully type of football that Pittsburgh had played against them so many times prior. And that's what they did to the Steelers. And then you go to Atlanta on Christmas Eve, and you're completely opposite. That offensive line that was dominant was non existent, got pushed around. The defensive line that was dominant, non existent, and got pushed around. That is a sign of a team that is good to decent and can be bad. It's been a roller coaster ride, and you just have to hope that this team on Saturday night is ready. And I'm going to talk about how they need to be ready here. Again, you go to not turning over the football, don't give that away and you go with getting after C.J. Stroud. This Texans team comes in, Tony, they're banged up. You look at their injury report, they're going to have guys play that did not practice, for example, yesterday, important guys, offensive line guys. But, again, they're going to be missing a lot. This is an opportunity that the Colts absolutely have to take advantage of so, roller coaster ride, good or bad, indifferent, whatever, you have to take advantage of this in this environment on Saturday night. If they don't, we're going to line them up regardless of the soft schedule or the lack of expectations this year coming up on Monday. But it's like a box of chocolates, as Forrest Gump said. You just don't know what this group, week in and week out, what you're going to get. And I think some people feel that way about Saturday night.
0: Part of looking at when you look at these two games, the the, the Falcons and then the Raiders. Let me give you a, a bit of where this is both offense and defense in in my view, and the answer is running game. You take a look at the running game of the Colts against the Falcons; uh, they had uh, sixty one yards, not including uh, anything by by the quarterback. You take a look at uh, the Falcons; uh, I can't count that high. It was one hundred sixty seven yards. It was 167 yeah. yards on the ground. That was the game against the Falcons. You take a look at the game against the Raiders, and you realize that the Ra- the Vegas uh, the the Raiders only had 84 yards on the ground, yet. The Colts, excluding Gardner Minshew, had 131. Jonathan Taylor was 21 carries for 96 yards. There's correlation to be made here on offense and defense regarding running game. Why is it we can run so well one week and so poorly the next week, and why is it that this defense can handle the run so well one week and so poorly the next week?
2: Well, because they're up and down. And again, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with this team you can't count on them to consistently be good or consistently, Tony, for what you're saying, be at what we saw last week or be at what we saw a couple of weeks prior against the Steelers. They are going to have that pitfall, again, because they're not that good. They're just kind of a middling team. They're great. They find themselves in this situation on Saturday, which is great for everybody. I mean, downtown is absolutely going to be electric with them playing and the Pacers playing at the same time. But they're just not good enough to control things entirely. And that's what you have to guard against coming up on Saturday. You brought Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's 5-0 and in his history against the Houston Texans. However, when it really matters, you go back to week number three when they beat Houston down in Houston back in September. Remember, Tony, he wasn't a part of that. That was Zach Moss. Zach Moss, I think, had 88 yards on the ground. And Anthony Richardson had a hand in as the starting quarterback, getting him off to a good start. And Gardner Menchu came in when Richardson went out with that that head injury and came in and maintained and helped them get that win. So there's not a lot of relatables that you can go back to in week number three and compare it to the Saturday night game against the Texans. What it has to come down to is this team, and I, I know this sounds really lame, but they're going to have to want it more. They're going to have to execute better. I mean, you're just going to have to, in your own building, this is what you should dream of if you're a Colts player going into this year because everybody, including myself, counted you out. You're going to be a bad team. You're going to win four games. And then you find yourself on a doorstep controlling your own destiny with a win. If you let that slip through your fingers, then to me, that is an egregious disappointment. So – you have to be able to do and control what you can. Being able to run the football is one. Tony, as you bring up, offensive line is going to play well, which I think it will. And then I think the defensive line is going to have to harass C.J. Stroud. Those are two of the controllables. that a team that's not that great, not that bad, it's a team and things that they can control. And we'll see if they can
0: on Saturday. And we're talking about winning the the, the possibility of winning the the division here. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and Tony, you're right. I mean, you sit. You win this game on Saturday night. You sit back. And you watch what happens around you. All that screws up or goes right around you on Sunday. There should be no better experience for an NFL player after a win on Saturday. And Who knows? I mean, maybe you end up getting a a home game. You know, as the division winner, who would have thought that? And, And you bring up a great point earlier. How many games have they screwed over? I mean, the Cleveland game, the Rams game. Oh, I can go I mean, through every, si- I, through in every single game. one
0: will drive you crazy. Absolute yeah. heart medicine time. Uh, Zach Moss, really quick, is, yeah. are we going to see him? I mean, I know he practiced uh, Wednesday.
2: Um, I would expect, I mean, I thought maybe you would see him last week and all of a sudden he was out. But um, I would expect, yes, we'll find out probably concretely tomorrow at some point, maybe even later on today. But I would expect, yes, Uh, Trey Sermon, by the way, Tony, has been good Mm -hmm. since Moss has gone down. So that is a good thing, too. But let me tell you, this is going to be shouldering the load. This is a Jonathan Taylor game. This is why you sign him. This is why you give him that that amount of money at running back and believe in him. This should be his game on Saturday night. If it is, he'll be in the crosshairs, and I'm sure, of our conversation coming up on Monday as well. But this should be about him they should be able to ride he and that offense, offensive line, I should say, coming up on Saturday against the Texans.
0: I like Trey Sermon, and I like Jonathan Taylor. When yeah. you've got that little outlet pass, uh, you know, something for uh, Gardner Minshew uh, to dump into and give them a- an-, an opportunity. I wouldn't mind a little bit more pulling guard action and, and seeing a bit of that. JMV he is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, always appreciate you. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. According to ADP, they've added jobs in December. According to me, I don't listen to anything ADP has to say about jobs. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, find it all at tonykatz.com. Would love it if you were a part of what we're doing over there. Uh, They say uh, leisure and hospitality leading the way. The problem here is that they're always wrong. I mean, this, in 2023, they were wrong. Constantly, constantly. So I think we wait uh, until uh, the, the jobs numbers actually come out. I think we wait until we see what the Bureau of Labor Statistics has to say. But these jobs, I don't think tell the story. The story, as, as we've discussed and, and uh, we'll be discussing more, is that the Fed did not raise interest rates. At their last meeting in December, they signaled that there would be three rate cuts coming in 2024. The markets went nutty, and hey, my 401k appreciates it. But when you take a look at the notes, they have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea if the rates are actually going to come down and if inflation has been halted. They're just saying it. So keep your powder dry, children. This is Tony Katz Today.